You are listening to the sermon podcast of Redemption Chapel in Stowe, Ohio. For more resources and information, go to redemptionchapel.com. Well, I hope you grabbed last week or maybe this morning. If you want one, you don't have to, but uh, these are out in the atrium. They're free. They're the book of Romans with space to take notes in there. And uh, you got that. And then last week, like I kind of came out with you with a lot of info and you're like, oh my goodness, I think we're in school. Right? Like, yeah, we're going to school on Romans, but last week I did. I, I brought a lot at you, the history of the book, the the intro, remember the from and the to, and then we got to Paul's thesis statement, the heart in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1, all about the gospel. It's great, great stuff. Now what Paul's going to do as we get into the second week in Romans, we're going to see his kind of his informal intro. It's his habit in letters that right towards the beginning of the letter, he affirms his personal relationship, his connection with them. But we have a problem. Paul, Remember, Paul's never been there. He's never met them. He doesn't know them. And so what he does is he stays on message with the gospel. Because that's what Romans is all about. And so what we're going to see is relationships and the gospel coming together. We're going to see how these overlap, how these color each other. Anytime I talk about things overlapping or coloring, I think Venn diagrams. Some of you probably know what they are and love them as I do. Some of you probably know what they are, but you don't know them by that name. So Venn diagrams are things like, here's one that is actually not graphically done, but by picture. So what do you have here? is the purple circle represents everything that is a soft, cuddly baby. The green circle represents everything that is a horrible jerk. And where those overlap are cats, right? Now, what you might be able to tell, I had to change the wording to the green circle. The original was actually much more accurate, but inappropriate for Sunday morning. So... There it is. But that, that's a Venn diagram right there. Or as I was looking these up online to grab a funny, I came across one that I sent to my wife. <laughs> Bow chicka, wow, wow. Okay, that's probably more info than you wanted. But again, you understand what a Venn diagram is now, right? Okay, good. Good. All right. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to build our own Venn diagram. We are talking about two things. We're talking about the realm of relationships, and we're talking about the realm of the gospel or our Christian faith. And what the Bible is going to say, what Romans is going to say, what our passage today is going to say, is that blue and yellow make green. That's the way it should be. Totally overlapping. Now, don't misunderstand me. I am not at all saying that you should only have relationships with Christians. By no means. What I am saying is that the gospel, our Christian faith, should color every relationship that we have, Christian and non-Christian. They should go together. But if we're honest, the experience for most Christians looks like this. And that's our true Venn diagram. And that's what we have to work on this morning. Fortunately, that's what Paul's going to write about at the onset. Now, he's actually going to talk about it in two chunks. He's first going to talk about our relationships with each other, with Christians. And then he's going to talk about our relationships with non-Christians. So here's the first part of that, starting in verse 8. It says this. 
First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at least succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Let me show you a few things he does there. Number one, he says he is thanking God for them because their faith is proclaimed around the world. Well, wait a minute, what's that mean? Around the world is the known world at that time. It's a bit of a hyperbole. It means around the empire. And does that mean that the Roman Christians were going around sharing the gospel? No, that's not what it means. It means that they had come to faith in the fact that, listen, if you're living in the empire in some other city and you find out, wait a minute, there's some churches in Rome now? There are Christians in the empire's capital? So encouraging. And so that was being talked about another, and people were really encouraged by that. And that's what Paul is talking about there. So he says that he thanks God for them. Now, when he says that, the word thank there is actually a word that in the tense in the Greek is actually a um, ongoing continuous tense. Okay, so in English, it, it almost looks like you could be one and done with that. I thank God for you and I'm done. I'm not doing it again. No, but that word is actually, he thanks God for them continually. And and so why? Well, because look, for Paul, he realizes, look, he's never met them. Remember, they've never been face to face. So why would Paul be so thankful for them? And this is because Paul realizes that the history is about the gospel. It's not about Paul's life. It's not all about Paul. And so he feels connected to Christians, even though he's never met them before. He feels a de- In verse 13, he'll use the term brothers. Remember, in the Greek language back in the day, the, the plural is gender inclusive. So we would say brothers and sisters. That's family. You're my family. We're family. That's what Paul's saying. Feels very connected to them. Now, for us, could we at least, could we at least feel very thankful for the relationships that God has put in our life? Do you realize any relationship in your life was put there by God? That's a sovereign choice of God himself, even the hard ones. Like the hard relationships, God did that on purpose. Thank you, God, so much for that, right? But we want to be thankful for all the people God has put in our life. Paul's doing that. In fact, he's since he's thankful for them, one of the things he says he does is he prays for them. Now, don't miss this. When your relationships and the gospel collide and overlap, you end up praying for people a lot. But if we're honest, our Venn diagrams are barely, those circles, that it's barely touching. In fact, one of the lies that Christians tell the most is this. I'll pray for that. Right? Now, we're, we're well-intentioned. We kind of mean it at the time, but we forget, right? Like, look what God, no, excuse me, look what Paul could say. He said, for God is my witness. Can you roll into the next community group and say, hey, for God is my witness, I prayed for you guys. The whole, every prayer request we mentioned, I prayed for. Don't lie. <laughs> Don't lie. But, but there it is. Like, so 
We want to be like that. Let me give you a few tips, at least from my life. I have a prayer list that's synced between my devices. It's a note. And, and so it has, that prayer list is actually broken into three chunks. The, the top part, my immediate family, Shannon, our two kids, my daughter-in-law, and my soon-to-be son-in-law. And I have solicited specific prayer requests from them, and they're in there. And so what I do is I pray for one person on any given day. And then the next day I pray for the next one, the next one, and I circle back to the top. That's the first third. Then in the middle, extended family units. Right? And, so, and so I pray for one, and I go to the next one, and then I circle back to the top. Then the bottom third is our staff team. There's over 20 on our staff, and I pray individually and specifically for one staff member per day and circle back. So, so it keeps it fresh so it doesn't get old and uh, rotates it through. But it's one way I thought of to just, like, not lie that, that I'm really praying for people. Let me give you another suggestion, how we can avoid that lie. Instead of saying, I'll pray for that, here's what I want you to say. Let's pray right now. That's weird, isn't it? It's <laughs> so weird. Not, not if relationships and gospel are overlapping. Then it's not weird at all. That is just saying, hey, you got a need? You shared that? Why don't we pray right now, brother, sister? It's completely normal. By the way, speaking of the gospel impacting relationships, this does not mean that you will like everyone. But you're called to love everyone. And if we're honest, sometimes that's kind of hard. Some of you make that really hard. <laughs> no, but, but, but it's, it's hard sometimes. And so here's a, listen, if you have somebody that's really hard to love, commit to praying for them every day. God might not change them, but I guarantee you he'll change you. And, and you'll find he starts to do something in your heart toward that person. Here's Paul. He's, he's, he thanks God for them and he prays for them. And then what he says is that he longs to be with them. Longs to be with these fellow Christians in Rome. Again, Paul is viewing life. It's about the gospel. It's about God. It's about his kingdom. And Paul just kind of fits into that. And so therefore, gospel and relationships go together. Even though he's never met them, they are family. I think I've told you before, I've experienced that on mission trips. When I would go to a different country, it's not my country, it's not my culture. Sometimes, I, like when we went to Africa, I didn't speak the language. And yet, I met brothers and sisters that loved Jesus, and there was this instant family connection. There was such a sweet love, just like that. That is what it feels like. And so Paul longs to be with them. Here's a question. Maybe you never leave the country. But do you long to be with other Christians? I mean, the, the men and women in this room, like deeply desiring to be with them. You need them. Let me explain one of the things that has to happen in your life. You need to be known and loved. You don't think that. You think you just need to be loved. And so what we do, where we're convinced that people knew the real me. If you saw me in all my flaws, you would never love me. So I wear a mask in order to get you to love me. The problem is all you end up doing is loving the mask. You don't love me. I know the mask isn't me. And my deep need is to take the mask off and just be me and all my flaws and all my reality. And in that moment to be loved, it is so powerful. 
That's how God loves us. He sees right through your stupid mask. He knows what you're like and he loves you. But listen, he wants to do more than that. He wants you to experience that through the body of Christ, through brothers and sisters who you take the mask off, they know you and love you. It is so powerful. We desperately need that. And it won't happen on a Sunday morning. It happens in small group Christian community. And you need that. Now, I don't want to give you some fairy tale. Uh, there is... You have relationships with Christians. There'll be drama. There'll be trauma. There'll be conflict. I've been in ministry three decades. Trust me on this one, right? There, there'll be, you, you know who, what human being experienced the most hurt from Christians? I would guess the Apostle Paul. And yet here he is longing to be with Christians. It is better to have loved and lost than to have never have loved. It is better to have been in an imperfect church than no church at all. After all, what we want to do is see gospel and relationships come together. You know what the gospel is all? The gospel comes from conflict. We were in conflict with God and he solved that. That's the gospel. Or the fact that there's communication and confrontation and confession and repentance and forgiveness and grace. That's the gospel. And we live that out with each other. So when there is conflict in Christian relationships, what a great opportunity to live the gospel. That's what we're called to. So Paul longs to be with them. Now, when he gets there, what does he expect to happen? Two things. The first thing is that he expects to strengthen them. He says that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. To strengthen you. Don't misunderstand that. That's not Paul saying like he's going to roll into town with some weird kind of spiritual gift and he'll touch them and like spirit electricity will come out of him into them and they'll get some gift. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that the apostle Paul has been gifted and therefore he wants to go into town and use his gift in order to strengthen them. That's what he's saying. Listen, if you are a Christian, truly a Christian, you have been gifted by the Holy Spirit. But note this, it's not for you. It's so that you can use it to bless other Christians. It only makes sense. It only gets lived out as you're in Christian community. It would be like, okay, think of the best pass rusher in the NFL. He's on the Cleveland Browns. He's not on the Steelers. Anyway, so... Best passer, or think of like the best receiver, or the best blocker, best tackler, whatever. Okay, get that athlete in your mind. Now, how about this? That athlete's not on a football team. What a waste! Like, unless you put that in a team context, there's no no sense in living that out. That is a Christian gifted by the Holy Spirit, not in Christian community. There's no context to live it out. It's a waste. Don't be that guy. We see, when the gospel overlaps with relationships, our orientation is one, like Paul, we want to give. We want to strengthen. We want to bless. Absolutely. Don't hoard it for yourself. But it's not just about giving. It is also about receiving. And so you see here toward the end, Paul talks about getting together with them and there would be mutual encouragement. The word encouragement there means to call alongside. You can think of a marathon runner. 
know, when somebody runs a marathon, they actually, they usually get their family and friends to like line the course of the race at various points to cheer them on. They're coming alongside to encourage them. Stupid runners who run ultra marathons. Love them, but there they are. And, and, but what they'll do is they'll get fellow runners to run a leg of that race with, to come alongside to put the courage in them to keep going. And that's the image here. We are called alongside each other. We're supposed to run alongside each other and giving courage to each other. It's mutual to help us run the race that is before us. In fact, I don't know if you caught, this is the big dog. This is the apostle Paul. He's like Bible writer, uh, missionary, evangelist, church planter. And he is saying he needs encouragement. He's saying he's just a dude serving Jesus and he needs encouraged too. But, but if you read your Bible carefully, what's interesting is he's not asking that they come up to him afterwards and say, hey, good sermon, Paul. If you look in the scriptures carefully, what you see is what Paul wants, what he will be encouraged by, is when he rolls into town and he finds them loving Jesus and living for Jesus, loving the gospel, living out the gospel, that's what will encourage Paul. They live out their faith. You want to know what would encourage your pastoral team here at Redemption? Live it. Make it worth it for us. Let us see the impact in your discipleship, in your growth. I don't want to hear you say good, good sermon. Well, okay, my flesh does, but that's another issue, okay? But like, but what I want to see is impact over time, where I'm looking at a congregation of people who, they're worshipers, like legit pouring out their souls in worship to Jesus, disciples growing deep, missionaries, where you're You're on mission for the kingdom, spreading the gospel. Man, no, grow, go. You show us that. That is so, so encouraging. And that's what Paul wants. (laughs) I told you last week about the woman in our congregation that has ALS. (laughs) And I'll I'll tell you, this silly sister, (laughs) she thinks I'm ministering to her. She's ministering to me. Can you imagine what it's like for me as a pastor to see a woman in our congregation who's has ALS and her body's going to be degenerating and she's like totally cool with it and saying, if just one person comes to faith, it's worth it. Do you know how encouraging that is to me? She's, we're mutually encouraging each other. That's what the apostle Paul's saying. Just let me see you live in it. Ugh. Now, of course, not many of us are the apostle Paul. Well, specifically, none of us. (laughs) None of us are the Apostle Paul. We're just fellow Christians looking to mutually encourage each other. And we need to. Because Christianity is a team sport. You cannot live Christianity alone. It doesn't work that way. Remember, last week I told you that Romans is about preaching the gospel to Christians. Non-Christians as well, but... Preaching the gospel to Christians, that you never graduate from the gospel. The gospel is not just some initial message that gets you into the faith. It is the faith. It is Christianity, A to Z, the whole way. It's just going deeper in the gospel. And so in our relationships with each other, what we need to do is we need to preach the gospel to each other. Now, I hesitate to say that. (laughs) Because you know how like when you get in some Christian circles, you got the preachy guy? 
right? Like he's Mr. Bible breath. And like all the time, it's like easy cowboy, take it down a notch, right? And so I don't want you to become Mr. Preachy Pants. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But the gospel should color our relationships, right? We we should be reminding each other the gospel. We get so zeroed in on some little thing. We got to encourage each other to zoom out, to remember the gospel, to help each other apply the gospel, to run alongside each other and spur each other on. That's what we need. This is why we do community groups, men's studies, women's studies. It's going deeper in the gospel in the midst of relationship, and that cannot happen in isolation. Well, let's be clear about something. If we just take a handful of Christians and put them in the room together, that doesn't necessarily do it. We've got to be really clear about this, okay? We have to remind each other to zoom out in those contexts. We have to remind each other of the big truths that God is, Period. God is. We gotta remind each other of the gospel. The gospel is all about grace and forgiveness, not the shame we're feeling. We gotta remind each other of the gospel that Jesus came. Oh, and he's coming back, and that's our hope. And then in the midst of that, to remember that we're safe and we're secure in Christ. Therefore, we can be real, we can be vulnerable, we can be transparent. And if we're all honest, oftentimes we get together in Christian community and we try to just act like we have all our crap together, and we don't. We just got to be real about that in those moments. And when that happens, it's so powerful. I'm begging you, would you take it up a notch in your community group? That it wouldn't just be safe and sterile? but it would be open and honest and real. That's powerful. Just putting Christians in the room together doesn't necessarily do this stuff. Take it up a notch. So Paul wants this mutual encouragement among Christians. And I'll tell you, I see two problems that that face us in that. They're really two groups of people. And the first group of people is, is some of you, let's be honest, some of you are selfish you don't want to give, you just want to take. Here's what Ben Franklin said. He said, a man wrapped up in himself makes a very small bundle. It's clever, right? I don't want you to live a small life all wrapped up in yourself. Instead, I want you to live a life of joy. Let me show you what I mean by that. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. What we tend to do is I got to take care of myself and I put myself first. No, no, no. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. If you do that, you will have amazing joy. Give it, make it an experiment. Try it out. Watch what happens. It is so much fun. Just trust Jesus. Give your life away. You will gain life. So some of you are selfish. The second problem, though, is that some of you are self-sufficient. You're the people that you love to give to others because those poor sods need your help. But but you, you can't receive help. You love to tell people truth. You can't receive truth. You're like this guy right here. Right? That dude makes one phone call and he's got guys there that will help him carry the couch. That's the kind of guy that loves it when people call him and he'll run over to help move the couch. When it's his couch, he's got an office chair. Really? Some of you know that you're like, yep, that's me. 
I'll tell you what, it's pride. It's spiritual pride. We gotta be on. Here's, I want to be 80 years old. And I, I want to be just full of like ministry experience and life experience, theological understanding, biblical understanding. And I want to go on Sunday night to our high school ministry where one of our high schoolers is preaching from the word. And I want to sit down and eat and be fed by the word. Compare that to how we get into community groups and we try to impress each other with our biblical knowledge. You feel the difference? Or the people who can give, but you can't receive help. Listen, don't be self-sufficient. That kills the mutual encouragement. All right? All right, so mutual encouragement. It's both giving and taking. And, and these are the things Paul wants as the gospel overlaps with relationships with Christians. This is how we start to live that out. Now he's going to talk about relationships with non-Christians. So we jump now to verse 13. Here's what he says there. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. He starts out saying that he feels obligated to all people. The way he says that is to Greeks and barbarians. Barbarians are those who are outside of Greek culture. So here's what Paul said. He feels obligated to those in Greek culture and those outside Greek culture. Isn't that everyone? He says he feels obligated to the wise and foolish. Isn't that everyone? And that's his point. He feels obligated to all people because of the gospel. So I want to be vulnerable for you, with you for just a little bit. Tell you something that the Holy Spirit started to nail me on some years ago. I realized that I was awfully critical towards a lot of different types of people. I was really judgy. Maybe I hit it well externally, but internally, man. And so as an exercise before the Holy Spirit, I got out my journal, I t- typed my journal, and, and I started to just get real, face reality of all the different kinds of people that I have difficulty with. And I'll show you part of the list. (laughs) This will be fun. Bad drivers. Just really get off my roads. And then slow drivers. Don't be in front of me, man. Aggressive drivers. So if you're slow or aggressive, I just don't like you. And that, like, okay, okay, if you park in a handicapped spot without a permit, that ticks me off. It has to do with my grandfather, all that kind of stuff. But look at the next one. If you have a permit and park in the spot, uh, you're going to get out of the car and you're not handicapped enough for me, right? And so, so now I'm ticked as well, right? It's both. Loud music bumping out of the car. I'm like, will you turn it down? I don't want to hear it, right? And then, the, am I just old? I don't, okay. So if you wear sunglasses inside, Stop, stop, right? Loud talkers, over talkers, people talking on their cell phone on speaker in the coffee shop. There are 40 more categories and I came with 40, right? Like, and I would be ashamed. I literally would be ashamed to show some of them to you. And right about now, some of you are like, wow, our pastor's kind of a jerk. 
And I'm thinking, wow, it took you that long to come to that? Like, I thought I was clear. I was uh, more obvious than that. But there it is. Pray for me. So I, I, I line all this out before the Lord. And then at the end of it, I'm just going to, I, I copied, I'm just going to paste up there my journal entry. Here's what I wrote. Wow, I have a problem. What if I just loved all these people? This list reflects a deep brokenness in me. Imagine what I would be like if that were fixed. If I just enjoyed, embraced, and loved people. I want to be free. This is a sucky way to live. And that's true. Because it did not reflect the gospel overlapping relationships. These were very separated. See, in a fallen world, you can always find something to criticize. In a broken world, you always have justification to pull away from messy people. But Paul said he felt obligated toward all and moved toward them. So I want you to feel an obligation, a burden to move toward all people. Even if they're different from you. No, check that. Especially if they're different than you. Move toward them with the gospel. You see, when the gospel starts to color all relationships, it colors how we approach people. What I was doing wrongly is I was focusing on a sub-label, not the top label. What I mean is the sub-label, I listed some of those out for you. The top label is this. Human being. Made in the image of God. Eternal soul. Needing the gospel. And I was focused on on the sub-label. And letting that overshadow. No, no, no. I had to flip that. I had to flip that. So Paul, he feels obligated to move towards all kinds of people. Why? Well, what he says is he is eager to preach the gospel and to reap a harvest there. Paul wants to meet new people in order to share the gospel. This is viewing his life, and I want you to view your life in in light of the advancing gospel. Start to see that Venn diagram, those circles starting to overlap more and more and more. Remember I told you last week, you are not only saved from, you are also saved to when it comes to the gospel. Yes, you're saved from hell and death and sin and separation and condemnation and shame. Yeah, you're saved from that, but you're also saved to. You're saved to mutual encouragement, fellowship, growth. Okay, yes, but also. You are also saved to gospel mission, kingdom expansion. That is part of what Jesus saved you to. Listen, when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, do you think he had in mind that he was adopting you into his family so that you could pursue the American dream just like your non-Christian neighbors? That ain't it. He saved you to his mission. This is the the circle starting to overlap. Your life is supposed to be so much bigger than the American dream. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. 
Now, this doesn't mean you have to pack up your house and move to another country. Not that. No, it means that you so understand and embrace the gospel and love it that you are burdened for those who don't have it. Maybe they live right next door to you right now. You either love the gospel or you don't. And if you do, then you become a missionary about it. And this isn't some just duty, guilt, obligation kind of thing. That's not, no, no, no. No, this is about loving Jesus. And when I love Jesus, I love his art. You know what his art is? He writes redemption stories and they're gorgeous. And I just love watching Jesus do what he does. Reading another one of his stories written on your lives. I just love that. Can you imagine what it will be like to be in heaven someday? I don't know if this happens or not, but to be in heaven and somebody walks up to you and says, listen, I'm here because you weren't ashamed of the gospel. Thank you. Man. Paul gets that. So in the very next verse, he gives us his thesis statement. It's verse 16. Here it is. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Paul's not ashamed. What you see is those circles of the Venn diagram coming together and overlapping. Listen, if you grow deeper in the gospel, get ready for God to smash those circles together. That's what he does. So how can we get after that? I want you to view every relationship you have Every encounter, you think they're random encounters, they're not. Every encounter with another human being, that is a divine appointment put in your life by our sovereign Lord. He intended you to have that encounter. It's not an interruption to your life. It's not a hassle. It's why we are here. Whether that person is a Christian or a non-Christian, I want to be a part of a gospel opportunity. So I want us to start asking the question, with my relationships, how can God use me to extend his kingdom in other people? What can he do with my life? And and there's two buckets, right? There's the, the person's a Christian and the person's not a Christian. So if the person's a Christian... What I want you to think in terms of is two-way, mutual encouragement. Because they're walking with Jesus, you want them to influence you. And you want to influence them. It's two-way. It's mutual encouragement. Don't get preachy on them. But instead, what if you took it to the next level by being humble and honest and real, transparent, vulnerable? Man, open things up. Let the gospel flow in with forgiveness and grace. And Oh, man. One of the tools that we have for that in our church is called The Journey. It's an app that you can have on your phone that is discipleship in your pocket. But we also designed it so that you can do it with other believers, running alongside each other, growing in the faith. Mutual encouragement. Do The Journey app. What if you're in the other bucket? The person is a non-Christian, or or maybe they take the label Christian, but they're a Chino. Christian in name only. I made that. Don't tell people. Okay. (laughs) Christian in name only, right? Or like either way, the person's not walking with Jesus. You do not want them influencing you. You want one way influence. You want to influence them for the gospel. Love them enough to share the gospel with them. And I know that terrifies lots of you. Let me give you an easy trick. 
have I ever told you that I'm into this Jesus stuff and why? That's a question you can, it's a really easy question. See, yes or no, no, you haven't. Hey, would you mind, like, what if I took you to lunch? It's on me and I'll tell you kind of my, my background with that, like how I got to that. That's low shelf. You can do that, right? And then you just share your faith story. No, when it comes to communicating the gospel, you might be a champ and you might be like, I don't know what to say. Okay. We have a tool for that. It's called the door video. So, so you're like, yeah, my, my pastor, he's an idiot and really a jerk. I found that out last Sunday, but, but he did this video that, that uh, explains this message. And I'd love for you to, would you watch that sometime? Now, what we've done, if you hit that QR code on the left, that will download the graphic on the right so you can have it on your phone all the time. So whenever the opportunity presents, you can go, hey, just hit that QR code. Or you can bump phones and send that graphic to them and they can do it later, whatever. These are low-shelf things. But notice what isn't an option. That's not an option anymore. That's not who we're supposed to be. God wants this for us. He wants the gospel and relationships to completely overlap. And to that end, let me pray. Father, we are so grateful to you for the gospel. And yet, Father God, we we admit that we tend to oftentimes keep it separate from our relationships, even with Christians, to stay shallow safe. So Father God, would you change us? That the gospel would crash into our relationships, that that would be a complete overlap, that thing would be green. That we would live and and export the gospel, mutual encouragement with other Christians, but then we would export the the gospel with non-Christians and share this great news with them as well. We admit we're weak. We admit we're needy. We admit we need your Holy Spirit to move upon us to do that. So please, Lord God, move. And we pray for that in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Redemption Chapel. Go to redemptionchapel.com for more resources and information.